It's great. These days with all our handheld devices, I can still hear pages turning. All right, verses one. verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, lo- how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and what and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Morning. Um, as you saw in our scripture reading, um, as we begin a new academic year, uh, for this semester we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. And to help uh, start us off uh, with the message this morning, we have uh, Dr. Jeffrey Arthurs to join us this morning. We're very happy uh, to have him. He's going to uh, be helping me preach through the book of Philippians this semester. Um, Dr. Arthurs, uh, many of you may be familiar with because uh, he also helped share the preaching duties when Pastor Chuck was last on sabbatical. Uh, Dr. Arthurs is a professor at Gordon-Conwell and also an elder at his church up on the North Shore. Uh, Today, too, we also have the privilege of having his wife, Liz, uh, join us this morning, so we want to welcome her as well. Um, I don't want to take up too much time because I know we have communion and I want to maximize his time, so Dr. Arthurs, would you please come up and bless us? Thank you and good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, I've preached here a number of times and most recently, as Pastor David said, was when Pastor Chuck was on sabbatical. I don't remember that when that was. It was at least a year ago. I think it was more than that. And uh, you may remember I was preaching on the problem of evil and suffering, uh, why bad things happen to good people, why good things happen to um uh, bad people. I'm sure all of you have memorized those sermons and inscribed them on the tablet of your heart. So we're going to take up a new topic today, and that is starting the book of Philippians. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord. It's a good series for a church like this because like the Philippian church, your church, as far as I know, doesn't have any major problems right now. I mean, we're all human. All churches have problems, but no, no outstanding things. And this is a warm, pastoral, brotherly uh, letter to some of his favorite people. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, um, Let me give you a little bit of background on this letter that will set up the whole uh, series, especially as we think about this topic of joy. But let me give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul is going to talk to us today and next week and 
so forth, about having joy even in the midst of chains. See, he was chained literally, literally. He was in jail. And yet, he said, rejoice. I'm rejoicing. I'm content. And we ask, well, how in the world? I mean, that's a secret I want in on. <laughs> Joy in the midst of, you know, chained, awaiting trial. We'll come back to that. Let me give you this background first. Here is the, uh, the Mediterranean world. Are you with me? We over on the west on this side, we have Spain. There's the boot of Italy in the middle. And you know where Jerusalem is? Jerusalem is over here on the east side of the Mediterranean. And where's Philippi? Well, Philippi was a Greek Gentile city, part of the Roman Empire, and it is over here. Northern Greece, I think today it's Macedonia, is that the country up in the northern part of Greece? And the Apostle Paul had planted a church there. You can read about his starting of that church in Acts chapter 16. Uh, it is, uh, the ruins are still there today. It was a major Roman city. It was a port city, a commerce an important city and a strategic city for the gospel. They had their own amphitheater. You can see it there as you visit the uh, ruins of Philippi this day. But as I say, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul was called, come over, come over to Philippi by the Holy Spirit. Come over, you know, preach the gospel, share the good news of Jesus. So he went. And uh, there were very few Jews that lived there. He normally would go to the synagogue and, you know, start ministering and tell them about Jesus, the Messiah. But they had no synagogue. There were so few Jews, they, they, they just didn't have an organized synagogue. So the Jews that were there would meet uh, daily or every now and again uh, by the riverside for prayer. This is what Jews did when there was no synagogue. So Paul went down to the riverside, and he met some of the people there, and he started uh, witnessing. He met Lydia. Lydia was a Jewish woman. She was a wealthy uh, businesswoman. She was a seller of purple. Purple, what does that mean? It means purple dye, highly prized in the Roman world. And so she would, she would make this, uh, manufacture this dye and, you know, export it and, uh, and she became a Christian, became a patroness, uh, you know, an, an anchor in the church there. Uh, that was Lydia. Then there was this slave girl that uh, followed Paul and Silas. Like they, they would be going through the marketplace and everything, and she would follow them. And she had knowledge, I guess kind of demonic knowledge, I don't know. And she kept saying, they, listen to these men, they have come from the Most High God. Oh, everybody listen. And, uh, you know, it sounds like a pretty good message, but it really bugged Paul. And finally he turned to her and he said, I, this is enough of this. A demon, come out of her. And the, the demon came out and she lost her ability to, you know, see the future and prophesy. Well, her masters used to make money off of her because they would use her to, you know, I don't know, read palms or something and predict the future. So they got really mad and they threw Paul and Silas into jail. Do you remember the story? They beat them with rods. A rod is probably, I don't know, probably about that thick. Whack! Do you remember? They put their feet in stalks. 
Their feet, not, not, not this kind of sock, their feet, very uncomfortable, cause you'd be, you'd be on the floor and your feet would be lifted up off the floor so you leaned back and your, your, your back's all messed up from, from the rods. It, the, the stocks themselves were a kind of torture. And what was happening at midnight? Paul and Silas, do you remember? They were singing. They were singing. Praising God. Joy, oh man, in chains. Joy in the stocks. Do you remember the story? God sent an earthquake. All the, the, the chains and the stocks and everything sprang open and all the prisoners were free and the jailer jumped into the, the, the dungeon part of the, 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 uh, the, uh, the prison and he, he pulled his sword. He was about to kill himself because, you know, all the prisoners are free. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. Paul spoke with King James English. Do thyself no harm. And, uh, and the, the, the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Don't you wish your friends would ask you that? Hey, how do I get saved? And, and he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And so a church started. Small. It was Lydia. I don't know, the slave girl, I don't know, uh, the jailer and his family, and a church got going. Okay, here's an actual, um, here's an actual photograph of the jailer who jumped into the uh, inner, uh, inner dungeon area. Do thyself no harm. He's got his sword in his right hand. Can you see it? He's about ready to do himself in. It's an archaeological find, this uh, black and white photo from that day. And so a church began. And it is now about ten years later, when we come up to the book of Philippians, about ten years later. But there's a, there, now there's a church there. They're organized. Uh, it's grown. Now they have elders and deacons at this church. And uh, it's doing well. There's, as I said, there's no major problems. But Paul himself is in prison in Rome, writing to this church, his dear friends over in Philippi. They themselves now had a, a, a quote, they were under a severe test of affliction. I'm not sure what was going on in Philippi, but they were being persecuted. Uh, the same verse says they were experiencing extreme poverty. And they were persecuted. We see that in Philippians chapter 1. So here is uh, Philippi, and Paul is over here in Rome under house arrest. Here are some of his circumstances. He's awaiting trial before Nero. You guys remember Nero, right? Very nice uh, emperor, Nero. He burned the city down, blamed the Christians. He's on trial, or he's awaiting trial. He is under house arrest. He actually wasn't in jail like with bars and, you know, all of that. But he is chained. He was chained to uh, two Roman guards constantly, 24 hours a day. He is maligned by his fellow Christian preachers. How do you like that? It's one thing to stand against the world, you know, Nero and all that stuff, but 
fellow believers were jealous of Paul and they were, they were saying, oh, he's just, he's proud, he's just out for himself, he's starting a cult. Paul said, I'm not trying to start some cult. I'm just passing on what Jesus has communicated to us. And yet, joy. This theme of joy is close to the heart of God. Did you know that? It's talked about lots of times. In the book of Philippians, you'll see it 13 times. It's just going to keep percolating up. In the, uh, in the New Testament, the, the verb rejoice 96 times, the noun joy 59 times. It's close to the heart of God. Jesus himself, the Bible says, full of the joy, joy in the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, he said, let my joy be in you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus himself, demonstrated this fruit of the Spirit, joy. It's close to our hearts, too, isn't it? Your roommate's driving you crazy. (laughs) Life stinks! Family trouble. Too much month at the end of the paycheck. Some of you older people, we don't have many older people here, but as you age, you sense life is kind of passing you by, but you don't feel like it. You have all this experience and wisdom, but the younger generation, blah. Where's the joy? Jesus knew joy even in the midst of all the blah, blah, the knucklehead disciples, the Pharisees, you know, always after him. The Apostle Paul knew joy, and the question is, how? He's, he's chained. And we, it's close to our hearts. We crave it. When I think of our Lord Jesus, you know, with this, this river of joy just kind of steadily infusing his life, his perspective, even in the midst of trials, when I think of the, the, the Lord Jesus and his joy, I actually think of Gandalf. I think, Gand- I think Tolkien means in some ways for Gandalf to be, uh, you know, a symbol or a pick up on some of those themes. Did you know, uh, when Gandalf has the weight of the world on him, I mean, he's got Sauron, he's arising in the east, and his own, you know, the the leader of his own council, Saruman, is a traitor, and oh, he doesn't know what to do, and they're outnumbered. But Tolkien says, Frodo noticed, he had never noticed before, that in the midst of this weight, there was a subterranean river of joy that sustained him. And he was always on the edge of laughing. So it's close to our hearts. I mean, that's what I want. And so the question for this book, for this message is, how? Where does it come from? You're not in chains, I hope. (laughs) But you may have health problems. You may have family problems. You may have, you know, the stuff of life. 
So we want to look at joy. Where does it come from? Two places according to verses 1 through 11. Two considerations for you, for me. Joy comes when we value our partnership in the gospel. That's what he says. That's why he's joyful. Look there in verse, uh, verses 3 through 5. Do you have your Bible open? Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He values this partnership in the gospel. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy. Verse 5. Why is he joyful? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm chained. I'm in Rome. Nero's about to kick me. I, this is this life stinks. I don't deserve this. I didn't break any laws. This is stupid. I, I thank God with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Same thing in verse 7 or something similar in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Isn't that beautiful? I have you in my heart. For you are all partakers of this grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So one of the secrets to joy, even in chains, is to lift up, magnify, focus on partnership in the gospel. Just take the first part of that. I mean, just partnership. We like teamwork. We like to work together, right? You don't like to be a loner. You don't like to feel like I'm standing against... He was so... Even though he's in jail, he's hundreds of miles away... Yeah, he, he had, he had teammates. The Philippines were praying for him. They're sending him money. They're writing him letters. And he's like, man, this is great. You're standing with me. And we love partnership. And he experienced that. But it's even deeper than just partnership. You know, just like being on the same volleyball team or something. I mean, that's fun. I love volleyball because it's a team sport. But it's deeper than that. Partnership in the gospel. See, that's where the Apostle Paul's heart was. This good news, this message about Jesus. He came from heaven to earth. We sing about it, right? He took upon himself the form of a servant, a human servant. And, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He died for our sins. This is the good news of the gospel. But that's not the end of the story because he rose again and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And this story of the gospel, this good news, is what just absolutely captivated Paul. And so he's thinking, hey, I mean, I may be in chains and that's no fun and I'm not pretending like it's fun. But there's a 
subterranean river of joy strengthening me in this trial and that is the gospel is not chained <laughs> and the good news is going forth and God is even using my circumstances uh, to spread the message in places where it wouldn't uh, normally have been able to go he's, uh, he's using Paul to spread the message of the gospel in the praetorian guard this is the, the sort of like the secret service, the special guard of Nero. That's who Paul was chained to, these special, these special soldiers. And so the gospel is going places it's never been before. And so he, say, he says, it's okay. It's okay. If I have to be chained for that to happen, all right, whatever. It's not about me. And this subterranean river of joy sustained him even in chains. Okay, what about you? Okay, so your roommate stinks. Okay. So your parents are driving you crazy. Okay. Too much month at the end of the paycheck. Gotcha. Can you lift your vision a little bit higher? Can maybe God has placed you with that roommate to spread the gospel, maybe? To show that person what a Christian looks like? Hmm. Maybe God is using this trial in your life for a greater good, the gospel. And you may find, like the Apostle Paul, it's okay. It's okay. I can be chained. And I can know contentment and joy. So my advice to you would be, based on this scripture, lift your vision. Look at the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. It is beautiful when it happens. We're changing the world in the name of Christ and in the power of Christ. And uh, my own personal circumstances uh, are secondary. I don't say they're, 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 they're inconsequential. I don't say it's fun to be chained. I say secondary. Secondary. And that is the first... Lesson, the first secret of joy in chains. Partnership. Partnership in the gospel. If you lack joy, it may be because all your thoughts are going this way. My problems, my headache, this bad thing. And I don't minimize that stuff. But maybe there's something bigger going on and God wants to use you even in chains. And you may find contentment, if not joy, even in the midst of chains. All right, second secret. This is the last one. We only have two points today. The second secret to joy in the midst of chains is we are sure that God will complete the salvation that he started. And that brings the Apostle Paul great joy. Verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Christ of Jesus Christ. Hey, Philippians, uh, you know, ten years ago I was in jail and, you know, the, 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 the Philippian jailer and Lydia. And, and ten years ago, boy, it seems just like yesterday, Philippians. But, and, but I am sure of this, that he who began this, this church, this work of salvation, this community, he's going to continue it. He's going to bring it to completion. He is going to save you to the uttermost. You have been saved. You've repented. You've placed your faith in Christ. You are being, present tense linear, you are being saved. You will be saved on the day of Jesus Christ, that final day, that day of judgment when he returns. He will save you completely at that time. And so the Apostle Paul says, okay, it looks like, I got these chains, it looks like God has abandoned me. It looks like the good work that he started in me, uh, it's done, it's over, I don't know, he's out of here, I don't know where, no, he says, I trust God, he is saving me, he is saving you, he will bring it to completion, and that gives him joy, even when chained. How about you? You got this crummy roommate. You got this family problem. You got this decaying body. You've got. Is it possible that he is active in the midst of those trials? In, in fact, the, the trials are kind of part of this whole, you know, working out of salvation. Is it possible that he wants to use your roommate's situation to refine your character and make you more like Christ and to save you and to conform you to his image and to help you long for heaven and to wean you away and not be so, you know, attracted and, and rooted in the things of this world? Do you ever think of it that way? It may be a secret a lesson for how you can have joy even in the midst of chains. It seems to be the case with the Apostle Paul. So here is Mount Rushmore, yeah? Have you been there? Raise your hand if you've been there. It's really great. You should go there sometime. Uh, I wanna, I've been there once. I want to go again. And did you know that this magnificent, I mean, it is, it's, it's breathtaking, the scale of this, this piece of artwork. Did you know that it's incomplete? I never knew that until I went there and, you know, went on the, the guided tour and all of that. Look at Washington over there on the side. See his, his jacket has lapels. They were going to carve him all the way down, like down this far and, you know, deep buttons and everything, waistcoated. Look at, look at Lincoln. His base is like barely emerging from the primeval rock. It's cause the artist, the sculptor, uh, his name was, uh, Borglum. Borglum. He died before it was over. And so it's incomplete. Now, here's my point. If this work of art can capture us and is breathtaking, you know, in, in this incomplete state, what if, what if it was completed? What would it look like? How, how would it take our breath away then? By analogy, by, by, by carryover, you are incomplete. 
God started something, like a powerful, wise, skillful artist. He started something in you. It's called the gospel. It's called salvation. Christ is planted in your heart. But you're still incomplete now. He will not die on you. He will bring it to completion. And he will even use your trials as part of that process. So there you have some teaching from this first uh, section of Philippians, this whole book about joy, which is going to come up again and again as we go through this. And um, this may be may give you some guidance as you continue in your discipleship and your walk with God, how to have joy even in trials, even when chained to two Roman guards. How do you have it? Value the gospel. Get your thoughts going this way. Invest your life in something bigger than yourself. Realize that God can use your trials even to further the gospel. Secondly, don't feel that God has abandoned you just because you're in trials. No, what he started, he will bring it to completion. In fact, he's even using those trials as part of this process of salvation. You may say, Dr. Arthurs, how about you? I mean, are you, are you, are you preaching about yourself? I mean, do you, do you have joy all the time? Not really. I'm still working on this. Still lifting my own vision, finding joy in partnership of the gospel. But I do know one man, his name was Paul, who said it is possible. I am experiencing a subterranean river of joy, even in the hard times. So I take hope, and I keep walking with God. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned me. He is working even in the midst of the hard times. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, help us to know this joy. It's close to your heart. It's close to our hearts. Help us to actually experience it by magnifying the gospel and by remembering you're not done with us yet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.